Okay, good morning. How are you guys doing? Um, so we're on our next to last week of Bible study, um, which I feel like it's flown by, but I've really enjoyed it. Um, today, or we're on week 10, and so we're going to be studying Philippians 3, um, 12 through 21. And so let me go ahead and just read that, and then we'll start diving in, okay? Okay, um, so it says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, um, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in, um, in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom um, I, have already, um, I have often told you and now um, tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. The cross of, um, of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindsets on earth, uh, mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Um, okay, so when I was growing up, I, I kind of come from like a family of marathon runners. Um, I think that I missed the gene pool on it. So my dad was a marathon runner. He ran more than I can count, including the Paris Marathon. Um, my mom started with halves, then went to marathons, did the Marine Corps, all of that, and then went to ultra marathons. Um, and so I have done a lowly two half marathons. But what I do know is, is that when you're running, you've got to have a goal, right? Because you can't just get to the, the finish line without that goal getting you there along the way. And so my goal was always just watching like Food Network while I was on the treadmill, um, checking off my you know, box and everything like that. But um, we, have, we see this goal that Paul has. Um, and what is it? Because we're kind of picking up like mid-chapter. And so when I started reading it and started the Bible study, I was like, what is he talking about the what is this? And so we have to reverse back a little bit um, to know what the this or the goal is, is that he's striving for. And so I'm just going to read back a little bit. We talked about it last week, but just so it's fresh on our minds. Paul says, um, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ um, Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may um, gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So the goal that he's talking about, like the this in that sentence in verse 12, that is knowing Christ. And so Paul um, is like everything is subject to that knowing Christ. And Paul's goals, just like a runner's goals, he's got three that I've put down um, for you. Um, like a short term, kind of a medium term, and a long term. Um, his short term is like is building the church and advancing the apostolic mission. Um, and we say that like, I mean, he is doing that work throughout his life, but we're seeing little snippets. And so we're gonna kind of count it as a short term. Um, and then his development as an apostle, how to like shepherd these churches, how to follow Christ and set an example and that kind of thing. 
And then the last um, and kind of his biggest is um, this lifelong process of being a Christian, his long-term goal. Um, and I love what Sinclair Ferguson says about this. I was joking earlier that, you know, I mean, we talked about before Sinclair is much um, smarter than me, but me and Sinclair are going to tell you about this today. <laughs> Forgive all of like the, um, the quotes. But he says, Paul realized that given the nature of his great goal, there would always be a sense in which he fell short. It is an inbuilt factor in the nature of Christian goals that um, seeking to fulfill them um, can never bring us to the point of self-satisfaction. And I just found that to be such good news that Paul is saying like, I don't have it, I don't have it together. And why is he saying that? Because it's kind of a weird thing to include like, hey, I don't have it together and everything. But he says it to encourage us, to encourage the younger believers in the church, to encourage the Philippians, um, to say, like, I don't have it together, and I'm not going to until the day of Christ. But I'm going to keep pressing towards that goal. Everything that I've just told you about, you know, this is the guy that just listed out, like, his little CV of the perfect Jew. Um, He's saying, all of that is rubbish. All of it's behind me. I'm not looking back. And I'm pressing on towards this finish line. And so it's an encouragement to us because... um, you know, we can continue to press on even though we're imperfect and are pressing on. Um, and then the second, and we'll talk more about this later, but it's an important one to see, is it serves as a red flag um, to the audience that he's writing to. That if someone's coming in and saying like, hey, I've got this down, follow me, I've got it perfect, and there were people doing that at the time, that that's a red flag because it's not going to happen until the day of Christ. We know that like we cannot obtain like um, what uh, uh, Ferguson says is self-satisfaction, if someone's doing that, then something's off. And so we'll get to that a little bit later. But it makes me wonder, like, where are we, you know, how are we ordering our lives? Um, and what do our goals point to? Like, what are our goals? What do they point to? Um, are they gospel-centered? Um, are they about our houses? Like, is your goal that kind of ruminates in your head all the time, like, I've got to get this room done. I know that happens for me a lot. Like, I will kind of get, and it always happens on Sundays. I'm convinced it's Satan. <laughs> but I'm like, oh this rug, you know, and everything. Um, or is it our marriage or like being married? Like, uh, you know, are you wanting to be married so much that like that's all you think about? Um, is it your resume? Is it trying to get that achievement at work or get that next, you know, promotion at work? Um, is it your bank account? Like if you just got to this level of wealth by this age, then all would be good. All of those are like really good things, right? But when we look at our goals, um, are they going towards the kingdom? Like, is it going towards the future that is sure? Or is it going towards, like, a self-serving future that will ultimately become dust? And so I just think that, like, we need to kind of ask ourselves that. But then Paul says, um, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In verse 17. And it's another, like, Paulism, I feel like, where you go, Paul, is that right? Like, uh, that happened before when he was talking about boasting. I thought, like, this sounds so weird. This does not sound right. Um, But, um, yes, it is right. It's um, Paul is saying, because I am following Christ, because I am imitating Christ, therefore imitate me. Um, And I love what Ferguson says about this. He says, it is generally true that until we see what the teaching of the gospel looks like in someone's life, we do not really understand what it means. That is why preaching the gospel can never be isolated from the life of the church. Only when non-Christians see the power of the gospel in people, they, um, in people they know, are they likely to respond to it. And I love that because I think that, you know, we're image bearers of Christ. And just like, if a, like a mirror, like even if a mirror is shattered, 
you know, you can still see the reflection, right? Like in the little shards and everything. And so our salvation is meant to transform us into Christ's likeness and thereby change us um, into imperfect living um, illustrations of Christ. And it's not going to be perfect. And even just like that mirror, when we mess up, the forgiveness that we're asking and that repentance, like that's still pointing towards Christ. And so Paul's saying like, follow me, because even though I'm imperfect, there are little glimpses of Christ. And so I wonder if you've ever had that um, person in your life um, that has given you a glimpse or a taste of Christ. Like, have you ever, you know, had the, the interaction with the person? That we've got a family friend where every time we go over, I like, you know, I could be like surly or grumpy or something like that. And this couple, they're um, my parents' age, they are so full of grace and so full of joy. And it's just, you know, the um, like salt, um, salt and light. I call people salty. It's not like salty like you're being grumpy. It's like you're just salty. Like you just make me want to be, you know, be with Jesus more and everything. That's them. Like I come away and I just feel so much more full of grace. I feel like I want to go spend time with the Lord because of their, like my interaction with them. And then like with Chris, um, my husband, I think God has used him so much um, to just impart grace on me, to teach grace. I feel like that I'm, you know, I always joke down a little bit of a pistol, but Chris has like kind of settled me into, you know, just this, he meets me with grace time and time again. And it's on big stuff. It's on like, hey, um, I don't have dinner. And he's like, it's fine. It's no big deal. I bought that dress I shouldn't have bought. It's fine. It's okay. And like, he just has this even kill. And so do we have people like that in our lives? Are we those people? Are we the people that are the little illustrations? Catherine Sasser, um, talks about with hospitality, that it's like the shadow of what's to come, that like you do hospitality, you make your home welcoming, because it kind of, it points towards the greater feast that's going to happen, the greater home that we're going to have, and it's just like these little glimpses, and I think that that's kind of why Paul says like imitate me, because I'm imitating Christ, does that make sense? Um, but then he turns um, to um, being aware of the believers, kind of, I'm going to call it in name only. He's talking about enemies of the cross, but it's basically the people that come into the church. They say, like, hey, we're believers, we're Christians, and something's not adding up. It's that red flag that we talked about before where they say, we've got it perfect, you, should, you need to follow us. Um, and he's really passionate about it. He says, even in tears, um, uh, you know, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And so what do they look like? What are a few of the red flags? So the people that are like so-called enemies of Christ, um, a good question to ask even now, where does the cross fit in their lives? When you ask them about the cross, like what are they saying about it? Are they clinging to it like Paul does in Galatians 6 where he says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Are they saying that? Or are they saying, oh, yeah, it's good, you know, like, and kind of skipping on and moving on to something else? Because one thing that Paul was kind of was nervous about and one thing that he was watching for were these people were coming in and they were doing what we talked about before, of the cross, um, cross plus X equals salvation. And Paul is saying, no, 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 cross plus anything negates salvation. Um, and so people were coming in and they were saying, you've got to be circumcised. We heard about that, you know, the mutilators of the flesh. You have to follow these strict dietary you know, restrictions. You need to carry out all of the old law so that you can be a Jew and then you can be a Christian. And Paul's going, no, 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 you know. Um, 
And so then they talk about their God is your belly and kind of what um, we just were talking about before. One commentary said that he was concerned um, about it manifesting itself into imposing idolatrous um, dietary restrictions on the Gentiles. So they were putting in all of these different dietary restrictions to help like, you know, with salvation um, and therefore negating the cross of Christ. Um, and so, you know, that was one concern for Paul. The other one, and one that we can apply today, I think, is um, their lifestyle. Is it one of, like, you know, self-importance and indulgence? Do we even see it as, like, I don't know how to put it, but, like, um, it looks good that, like, you're, they're promoting self all the time. I've got to have the organic food. I have to do all of this. You know, everything just right. There's nothing wrong with organic food. We buy organic food. Don't take that away. But, like, you know, um, the just right and everything. Um, and it's all about self instead of about outward and about, like, self-denial and obedience. So are we seeing self-importance? Are we seeing indulgence? Are they taking um, their freedom in Christ, and are they indulging too much in something? Is it the food? Is it the alcohol? Is it the sex? Like, those kind of things. Um, or are we seeing, as a true Christ follower, um, self-denial and obedience to Christ. And then lastly, um, for these um, enemies of the cross, what's their motivation? Um, are we seeing that they are wanting to be known? So Paul, you know, partly is talking about the um, people in um, chapter 1, um, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Um, so, you know, we talked about this before, that those were the people that were preaching um, kind of against Paul, if you will. They just wanted the name. They were kind of like, you know, glor- like glorying in the fact that Paul is in prison because they can make a name for themselves. They can move up in power in the church. Um, is that what we're seeing? Are they... Um, are they seeking that power? Are they seeking to be known in the church or known elsewhere? Um, are they like the smartest theologian in the room, but there's no grace and no heart? So it's that kind of like clanging gong or clanging cymbal. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I think that that is another thing to be aware of. Um, where do their treasures and glory lie? Um, are their treasures and glory on earth or are they in heaven? Are there goals and everything? Is it driving towards what Paul says at the beginning about the finish line and pressing on? Or is it what's around and like kind of those earthly treasures? And so one thing that I think, I, like I always think when you kind of hear the negative of like the enemies of cross or like Herod, like where's the Herod in me? I need to look and, and make sure like let's do a self-check and make sure that that's not about us too. Um, and I think Ferguson has this great question that we can kind of um, – mull over for the next week or so and it says what future is there in the object of your devotion is a question that should never be far from our minds so what's the future in our devotion because the things i mentioned before are all really good things but like what's the goal there why are we kind of seeking after those things um if it's a bank account is it to isolate yourself and to feel really like comfortable and should you know a storm come you can weather it by yourself and you know you're good and there's no leaning in on god for provision um, is it, um, you know, relying on your kid's success at school or in sports so that it just feels really good? I'm a great parent. I don't need to, you know, like get down on my knees for my child. Um, or is it um, marriage, like feeling that you're wholly loved because you're married? Um, so, you know, or 
are we on the flip side like is a bit like are you being a good financial steward so that you can give and grow the kingdom or are you um wanting children so that you can um teach them the love of christ do you see like the, i mean it can be the same thing but where is your motivation coming from um what is the future of your um, devotion so then on the flip side in contrast we see um, the citizens of heaven where the true home is in the presence of god um and so Chris and I, right after we got married, we moved down to Austin. He went to UT Law, and so we were down there for almost nine years. Um, and when we first moved down there, there was, by our apartment, there was an HEB, a big HEB, and then there was a Randall's, which for y'all that are North Texas people, Randall's is Tom Thumb. Um, and so I remember going into HEB, and y'all, this is so embarrassing to tell you, but like I came home, and I was almost in tears because I, I told Chris, I was like, these women were wearing Birkenstocks and wearing their babies. Like, I just was horrified by how granola they were. I just was like, I could not, you know, believe it. Guess who wears Birkenstocks and wears my babies? But, um, and so I would go over to Randall's and pay three times as much for the bell pepper that had mold on the back of it when H-E-B was like 99 cents and was perfect because it felt like home to me. And so I remember like a few years really wrestling and being like, oh, we should be back in Fort Worth three years that's all we've got well God had us plant roots down and then he called us back here to Fort Worth about five years ago and I remember like it was a hard transition I'm not gonna lie like it was a brutal transition for both of us I wrote HEB headquarters so many times I still do about like I need an HEB like in Fort Worth like in a three mile radius of my house I need an HEB um, and the point of that is is I never felt totally settled either place like it was this you know, weird sensation where I thought I was going to make a home somewhere and that was going to be it, and I felt settled. And God has held me in this tension of like, not, it's not always just perfect. Like there's never like that point where like you feel like, okay, got it all, you know, kind of deal. And there's a point to it because God's saying, this is not your home. Don't get too comfortable. Um, your home is in heaven. You're, you're not a citizen here. You're a citizen in heaven. And um, I'm so thankful for that. Like if he hadn't have showed me that, how much would I have relied on the comforts of, you know, kind of making my city my city? Um, <clears throat> and so Paul and the New Testament writers, like, you know, the Christian's future was not one of speculation, but of surety and of hope. And so Paul did not give up literally everything. Like, he was stripped of his um, status, of his privilege, of his education, like all of the things. He literally was stripped down um, his body, he was beaten, um, his freedom, he was imprisoned. He would not have done that just for, you know, what we're hoping is going to work out. He was sure of it. Um, and we've talked about before, I know we've talked about in our small group, Paul's kind of focus is a little bit maddening to me. Like, I joke, like, thank goodness he didn't have a wife, she would have killed him. Because he was, I mean, he's just like laser focused, these blinders on. And it's because he knew that this was just what, I mean, we weren't meant to be here. The suffering, even the good, pales in comparison to the glory of what is to come, like what we have as citizens in heaven. Um, and so um, Ferguson says it this way, talking like about you know, our goals and our ambitions, and then um, Paul's focus, he says, it means lifting up our eyes to the sure promise that Christ will appear again in glory, rather than lowering our eyes to ourselves and our appetites. The only enduring appetite is an appetite of love of, for Christ and his people. All else will become dust. And so I just, you know, I put to you, like, has God ever used a time where you felt like an alien or you felt completely, you know, out of place in a circumstance to remind you you're not home yet? Like, don't get, don't get comfortable. This isn't it. 
and you're meant to be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and I think that, you know, we just, we need to imitate, Christ, um, imitate Paul in pressing on towards that goal and pressing on towards what we know God has started and like Christ will finish. Um, and so just in closing, I put um, a Sandra McCracken song that kind of came to me while I was studying. Um, the love of Christ is rich and free. And really, we could read the whole song. I'm not going to sing Lauren would have to do that. But like I, um, the two, um, sorry, verses two and three is what I'm going to read to you. Um, and this was like this thought is what, what Paul, you know, his motivation, his push, his drive. And it says his loving heart engaged to be their love, everlasting surety. Twas love that took their cause in hand, and love maintains it to, um, to the end. Love cannot from its post withdraw, nor hell, or nor death, nor hell, nor sin, nor law. Can turn the surety's heart away. He'll love his own till endless day. And so we just hope in the fact that we know that this is our home. Um, and we press on towards the goal, and we leave everything else behind and race towards that day where we see Christ face to face. That's it. That's all I got.